Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Dagan343, guilty spark Moriarty. Dagan... (laughs) Thank you for joining me today. How are you, my friend? I'm doing okay, man. Son of the, one of the, you know, sometimes the universe seems to be conspiring against you. Yeah, Maybe it's I the understand. covenant. It could be the covenant. They don't want us the flood. to do the show. They right? didn't. Their polytheistic ways wouldn't didn't want us to. <laughs> I have really no idea what's going on in the game. Uh, but I'm looking at myself in the camera. It yeah. looks so pale today. Why is that? Peaked. Oh my goodness. I can't tell though. For me, the resolution's too, too. Oh, yeah. Low. Our resolu- we use Zencaster for people out there that don't know, which is like a pretty cool program where you just go to a website and you record. It's in super high quality audio, video, or whatever, basically whatever you have on your computer. And it takes that and it prioritizes that over everything else. So sure. it prioritizes getting the highest quality. And so it just ruins your own quality of video. But we don't that's matter. not the way. But that doesn't that's not the way it looks at the end. <laughs> so you could look fine right now to me. I I don't know. I'm How do you feel? I, I feel fine. You know, I had a I had a decent night's sleep and uh okay. woke up had a a big poop. Oh. You know, so maybe that took the life out of me. I don't that know. Literally just took the it took it, t- it tapped me out a little bit maybe. I'm feeling <laughs> a little flush. I that's the exact opposite, I guess. The exact opposite of flush. Anyway, Dake, uh Talk to me. How's life going? We're about to talk about the 2001 Xbox launch game Halo Combat Evolved. But before we do, of course, we like to stretch our legs a little bit. Talk about an important topic. My goodness. Yeah, this is going to be a crazy one. I'll tell you what's going on over here, man. Mm. It's getting crazy. The battle 
has raged to a crescendo now. Kyle, I'm talking about, I may have mentioned this on the show before, I'm talking about the phone charger wars that are going on in the Moriarty household. Have I yeah. talked to you about this? No. Okay, so I don't know. What do you go? You go smartphone charger, cell phone charger, phone charger. If I say phone charger, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Well, right? I, we use iPhone, so it's a very specific charger. That's true. That's yeah. So I, when I charger. when someone says like phone charger, you can think of USB C, I guess, or something, or you can think of mm. yeah. I, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. It. it we all it, there's four iPhones in this house, so it is it is an iPhone charger <laughs> battle. So there is no way to articulate the frustration that I feel for the way phone chargers disappear in this house. It's insane, and the theft. The straight-up thievery of everybody else, unapologetic theft of everybody else's phone chargers in this house with the other three people that live here. I can't say that I've ever lost a phone charger for myself, but it's complicated because we have the phone chargers here. There's four phones, four people using them. There should be four chargers, right? But then it gets a little more complex because you're in and out of the car. Mm. Now you're taking the chunk out, just taking the wire in the car. Lily is on her way to dance. We're going food shopping, going down the shore for the weekend, whatever. So it's easy for things to get lost, but the thing is nothing gets lost. Everything gets stolen. And then what happens is I have a cell phone charger. It gets taken because somebody needs to charge their phone. It never shows up again, never is returned. And then that unmistakably every time gets lost to the tune of, I don't even know, like we're talking about a half dozen chargers that we go on Amazon, order some more, go to Apple, get some more, whatever. They get lost. So desperate times, Kyle call for desperate measures. I have to take this battle to the next level. And the, the crazy thing about it is it's a four-way, it's every man for himself, right? It's a four-way war. No one's on anybody else's side. Everybody's vying against each other for this phone, for the phone charger. I think what I'm going to have to do is this, is this is the case, and this is the point that it's gotten to now. This is the, the, the pinnacle that it's reached, is that I'm going to have to actually charge my phone with a cell phone charger that is otherwise going to have to remain hidden in a spot that no one else knows where it is, which means I have to charge my phone while no one else is in the house. So when the kids and, and my wife are all at school, I have to charge the phone. By the time one of them shows up, I have to hide it. And then I'm going to have to charge it again at night when everybody's in bed. There's no other way to do this. And the hiding spot's going to have to be pretty top-notch because they'll figure it out. I feel like they're, they're pretty sneaky. They're a sneaky lot in this house, so I'm going to have... This is, this is the point. I'm sure there's people out there listening to this that can relate. Family, four smartphones. Even my, you know, Graydon's got a, a hand-me-down phone. Doesn't have a data plan, but he could text on it. He could FaceTime on it with his cousins, whatever. So that's where I'm at. It's like I, every time I need to charge a phone, for instance, for the podcast, so I could have a little compendium here for research or whatever... I can't, I got like 16% on my phone right now, hoping it lasts for the podcast. This is it's dangerous. 16% is dangerous. It's dangerous. Dangerous place. We're, we're yeah, treading I, uh, in shallow waters here. What I, so I like, uh, we've talked about this, I think, on the, uh, in terms of peripherals. I like getting like real peripherals. For instance, when we had a Nintendo, I, you don't get the third party. No, you get the brand. You get the NES controller, right? Sure, sure. So I always get Apple cords and they just, they're not any better or worse, I don't think, but they, they just, they, they're expensive. And so what I've done personally is it's not so much a problem here. It was a much pr bigger problem in my old relationship where it's just everything would disappear. <laughs> but here. 
we have like cords just hooked in certain places. Like I have a really nice electric uh, recliner, like a lazy boy recliner. And there's like a bunch of outlets in the side of it. So I have one plugged in there permanently. And you have leave one, it I have one. Yeah, I have Michael one plugged right, yes, right just, here. I, right. I don't think that I could cut him. Is it, it might not even be long enough, but you might be able to uh, just I see it. Yeah. I see it. There it is. It's, it's peeking out. And uh, so that's like always that's like just dug into my back of my computer. So I have one here. What I recommend two things. First of all, you have a little bit of an insurrection sort of the situation here. You need a rear guard. You need to attack from within. OK, my my uh, suggestion is that have you ever gotten the, the conductive chargers and just get the plates? You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yes, that is an option. And then get each person their own plate Yeah, but and just have it in their bedroom. And then at the very least, they'll be you'll mitigate that's you know, not a bad idea. In Afghanistan, when we fought in Afghanistan, we were fighting, but also we needed to make sure that we were giving everyone the necessary supplies so they wouldn't fall back into old sure. habits. That makes sense. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. you need to, so you not only got to gun down the terrorists, you got to give them some food so they don't grow opium. You know what I, I mean? I don't know. So, I hear you on that. I feel like that's a, that a weird reference. Rewarding them for their, you know, wayward ways, though. I don't know. I don't know. And I, I like that. That is a good day. Like I did. I'll put it to you like what? this. They, my yeah. family stays with you overnight in Virginia at your house. Mm-hmm. Your shit's going to be unplugged and be brought around the house. There'll be consequences. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> they are so unapologetic about, I don't think they see anything wrong with it. It's like I'm dealing with a real, you know, talk about a pandemic. I don't know how to stop it. And who knows how much Apple loves just selling these wires. I mean, can you imagine the margin on these wires? They love it. It's got to it's got to be something so absurd. Twenty (laughs) dollars for a two foot wire or something like that. It's probably like literally cost them five cents to make that wire. It's crazy. I went to the Apple store in Santa Monica on one of my visits with you for the pod and had to replace my at that time MacBook charger. Ninety five bucks. Said and done. Ninety five bucks. Boop. That's without tax. Probably was. But I will say, but I will say this. Yeah. And I know that some people take umbrage with it, but it just is what it is. iPhone is so good. Yeah. That it really is. Oh, I I used to make fun of it. I used to make fun of iPhone. My first smartphone was not an iPhone. I remember that. Mine either. But I'm on my fourth iPhone now. I think it's just such a superior product that I'm very happy. I, I think I just bought a new one. It's like the one in the, well, not just a few months ago. I bought a new one. Finally, I was rocking an iPhone 7. Oh, or an iPhone wow. 8. Were you really? Something like that. Holy shit. I bought it in 2017, that phone. So I bought a new one a couple months ago, but it's the, like the shitty one. Like they have the, not the shitty one, but it's like in the old form factor. It has the button on it still on the bottom. Oh, okay. But gotcha. it's like the, it's like the iPhone 13, I think innards on in this. So okay. I'm very old. Like I, mom gives, mom has like the new iPhone and I'm like, I don't even know how to use this. It's like, it would be like handing me an Android. I'm like, how do you turn it on? Where's the button? You got to get used to that. So, yeah. It's face ID and all that. But this works for you. Well, yeah, nothing new really happening here. No. I mean, the as as of the time we're recording this, just very busy. Company's doing great. Lots of things to worry about. Bringing merch in house, so that is a lot of stuff that a lot of moving parts. But it's gonna be awesome. Huge, huge. And uh, we are on the precipice of announcing our next show, so we're excited about that as well. We'll have more to say about that soon. But all of that really doesn't matter because this is, of course, knockback the retro and nostalgia podcast. You can listen to it in any order, even though. It goes live every week over on Patreon, patreon.com slash laststandmedia, the largest, most successful, fan-funded podcast network. 
for video games and nerd culture and the history of the internet. How crazy so thank you for that. that. How crazy. Patreon.com slash media. Find us on podcast services, Sacred Symbols, of course, Defining Duke, etc. But one of the perks you get over on Patreon is every month we do a series of elections where you can choose, put in your own topic ideas for Knockback, and then vote on other people's topic ideas. And the winner of a recent vote is the, t- is the subject of today's podcast. It's uh, Halo Combat Evolved 2001. Xbox launch game, iconic game. Ever heard of it? No. I think the the friend the uh, it just was a one off, right? This is one game. Yeah, that's that it. Was there was it. just it's one. Kind of I mean, that was a one and done. They were in and out. <laughs> so, uh, of course, made by the now famous studio Bungie, and this is a iconic game. Now, I'm curious, Dave, what you think of this because we haven't really. First of all, I don't play Xbox very often at all. Indeed, I had to. I made a new Xbox Live name because I was like, I don't even know what my my name is. So. I played it. I got the Master Chief Collection through Game Pass. And now I have to say that. And I think I don't know if this will surprise people, but I own this game and I loved this game when I was when I was younger. I had an Xbox and Halo was the first game I bought for it. I bought it. I bought my Xbox late. I bought my Xbox in the summer of 2003. So it was two years. It was a year and a half or so after it came out. And I bought it for Knights of the Old Republic, which people might remember was the Star Wars role playing game from Bioware. And it was that was like an iconic Xbox game. So. I played it back then, but it's funny in playing it this time. First of all, the second stage in the game is what I remember the first stage being. I didn't remember that whole intro at all. And it was like a it scratched a nostalgic itch. But what I think was most interesting for me in playing was looking past all the things the game does wrong, which is not much. And looking into how influential everything this game did was on everything that came after it. And I was really, really interested in playing it through this I don't know, this almost anthropological point of view where it was like, how did we play games back then? And what was it like to play a game like this? And how much do we take for granted these days? And it, it, my, my, my play with Halo is like very, very philosophical in some way. But before I throw it over to you, I wanted to start with Matthew Mendio, who had a fun uh, little memory here. He says, hello, fellow Spartans. Not a Yo. question, just a quick story. I was eight when this game came out, and it was certainly the talk of the playground. I'm the youngest of three boys, and our parents got us an Xbox for Christmas 2001. We each got one game. I got Star Wars Starfighter. None of our games we got were Halo, but we were still happy. After all the craziness of opening presents, my dad pulled a Christmas story move. He asked us what was hiding in our VHS cabinet. To my mother's horror, we had a brand new copy of the M-rated Halo. It is one of my favorite gaming memories of all time. And DJ Schwartz wrote in and said to the Brothers Grimm, The Xbox was the first console as a kid that I owned. My dad revealed it from under a blanket Christmas morning, all set up inside the Xbox was Halo. I have this vivid memory of coming out of that pod and working your way to Cortana. Later that day, we went to see the family for a few days, so I had to leave the Xbox at home. So being the nerd I am, I just took the manual out of the game box and carried it around for a couple of days just reading it. Do you guys have any quirky or vivid memories of this game? I'm curious, Dave, what was your familiarity with Halo? Did you ever? So. We've said this before, but just to set the stage for newcomers, Dagan has like all of my games in yes. addition to all of his games. I, I We basically have combined those collections. And in there is an Xbox and a lot of Xbox games. The stuff I bought at that time, I played. I played PS2 and GameCube more than Xbox, but there was a specific game on Xbox Rainbow Six Three that I played more than any other game that generation. I was fucking obsessed with that game and I played it online, believe it or not. Oh, wow. So uh, with my original Xbox Live name, which was C Moriarty, long gone to history before Xbox 360 and before achievements and all of that. So I played Halo back in the day and then I had not played it again since 2003. So it's been about 18 years. And 
what I remember about getting Halo is I went and got my Xbox at Nobody Beats the Wiz on Long Island with dad. And KOTOR was coming to me from IGN. They were mailing it to me because I was writing the strategy nice, guide for nice. it. So I was like, oh, I'll get a game to kind of dick around with. And Halo, I think had already, well, Halo was a launch game. I think it was already, like, I didn't get the original version of Halo. My version was the game of the year or whatever edition with like the gold inlay. So that's all I really remember about it. And it was a, but I'm not a LAN gamer. I'm not an online gamer per se. So I never really got into Halo. I played Halo 2 when it came out, which is a great game. And that was basically the end of my Halo experience. But I'm curious what your history, if any, yeah, with this franchise is. Because for us, for the Brothers Moriarty, Xbox is kind of a foreign thing. We don't, it, it's the first time it's actually come up on our show in over 200 episodes. Is that crazy? So, like as a topic, like something that is required in the topic. Yeah, it is. It's nuts. So, so uh, yeah, yeah, talk so to me about your For memories. some reason, yeah, Xbox wasn't really on the Moriarty radar. And I'll blow your hair back right now. This is the first Xbox game I've ever played. Still haven't. Now, I do, as Colin said, I do have a lot of his games. In fact, his X-Bone and all of those games are, I think, over two giant Rubbermaid bins, particularly up in my attic, my garage attic, over my garages, because some of Colin's games, particularly the PSP, the Vita, and all the PlayStation stuff was in my basement, Rubbermaid bins in a very particular corner of my basement. But those particular bins are in my attic, and I haven't broken them out. What I did was I just queued up Steam, I got the Master Chief Collection, and I played on the on the PC on my laptop. First PC game I played on this particular laptop Nice. And my first experience with an Xbox game. Did you play mouse and keyboard? No, no, no. I also bought a controller. You know, a USB oh, okay. Xbox slash Microsoft controller. Very nice controller, cool. actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those, they, Microsoft has awesome controller. Dude, let me just start by saying this. My first experience, obviously, Halo is not just a video game legendary franchise and property, but it's a pop culture icon. It's everywhere. You go into Target, you see the Master Chief toys, the Mega Box sets. The Needler, the Mega Bloks Needler, Master Chief himself is just this iconic green armored, orange visored dude. He's everywhere. Every, I feel like every grandma knows Master Chief in Halo. It's like this iconic thing. And one of the nice things about Knockback, this is the first thing I really thought about when I sat down to write for this episode, is that, you know, we get to choose the topics, Colin and I, and then generally talk about those things that we love and enjoy oftentimes. Maybe we're a little critical here and there, but whether we're gushing about a film that we dig or a TV series or reminiscing about some of our favorite childhood memories, those video games that we grew up with that we adored, those things that we're enthusiastic about. Maybe we throw an animated film film in here and there, novels, books, comics, whatever. And that's very fun and satisfying. And maybe even you could argue a little indulgent. You know, we get to talk about those things from a mile-high perspective and really celebrate them. And hopefully share our passions with you and engage you and maybe even we do it in a contagious fashion. Maybe even turn you on to something you haven't experienced or that you missed. And that's fun. But then, every now and again, we get to do a fan-chosen topic that honestly maybe wouldn't have made it onto our list at least this soon. And something not necessarily on our radars like some other topics might surely be. Right? For instance, I did the I put together a list for the first three months of two, you know, 2022 Colin sort of vetted him, rejiggered the order a little bit, and then added a couple of things, including Halo. And when I looked at that on the list, it's like, wait, what? Like, I did a double take. And of course, I know Halo. I know our friend Chris, how much he adores it. We just got done talking about that in Pittsburgh. 
So it's on my radar, but it's foreign to me. You know, it's one of those things that I definitely miss that I, you know, I would say to myself, I'm going to go back and visit this thing and see what all the fuss is about. And I see these kind of fan shows and topics, especially, especially these that weren't, that really haven't been on my radar at all as kind of a fun challenge. Like you guys finally forced my hand, held my feet to the fire to tackle an iconic, absolutely legendary, in this case, video game. And the beginning of that, the first installment in this epic franchise. And I have to start by saying that it's so nice to finally be a little bit in the know. I have a long way to go, but at least for this first iteration. And finally see what all the hype is about. And uh, I have to say, man, I get it. I, I totally understand. If it keeps going in this direction and this is an upward trajectory for the series, I think this is something I'm really going to fall in love with. And it's always kind of cool because... It could, for me, have that Star Trek effect where it's like, okay, I know everybody loves this, but it's, I, I've seen enough and it's really not for me. Or is it one of those things where you always got one eye kind of dialed into it and you're like, there has to be something there for this many millions of people to love it like they do. And for it to just be everywhere, down every Target toy aisle and everything. So I can't wait to crack into this thing with you, Kyle. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of forced my uh my hand a little bit or kind of showed my cards a little bit by saying how much i love it but i don't think that's any any secret i mean i've so smooth so fluid so satisfying engrossing and a game like those things that we've played that i've been turned on to via knockback like my beloved bioshock infinite horizon zero dawn the last of us right far cry 3 i really loved like one of those games that i really found myself Looking forward to the family going to bed at night. No no offense. So I could sit down and really enjoy it over like, I probably played it over the course of six or seven nights, two or three hours at a time. And just really like, it was so nice to finally be like, hey, I, I'm like, I'm, not, I'm sitting at the big, at the grown up table finally. Like right. I understand what this thing's, I understand a little bit about this thing now, you know? It is nice to get your hand forced a little bit because yeah, I'm, I cover PlayStation professionally, so that's just where I gravitate. And Micah, you know, my girlfriend, our coordinator for our company, is a massive Xbox fan. So she we is, have, that's right. so we have everything that we need. We have three PS5s covered. and two Xbox Ones in this house. So I went and I was like, this is so I, I was making fun of myself the entire time. I'm like, this is so awkward. I go up to the go up to the TV where all the consoles are. I grab the Xbox controller. I'm like, you know, I. <laughs> turn it on I go on my PC to make like an Xbox name and I'm learning the interface it's it's very curious Mike is kind of intrigued watching me play with the Xbox because I'm so fluid with PlayStation and just what I'm doing on it and with Xbox I'm like an old man I'm like I have no idea what I'm doing on this thing but I eventually figured it out I got Game Pass I downloaded well first I was going to just buy the game I was like oh I'm happy to buy Halo it's very fine. But then it's like you can pay $40 for the Master Chief Collection or get a dollar Game Pass. I'm like, OK. Oh, right, 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 right. So it's worth it because, well, yeah, I was I would I was ready to play 20 for it. I'd be like, that's fine. But I was so we're recording this at a time like a few days after Microsoft um, announced Activision, which just devastated the Sony ecosystem and and its fans. And uh, we were kidding around on Discord because what ended up happening was I had I played it over like three days and I'm like, All right, I'm done. And I went and canceled Game Pass. and. Because I'll get it again in the future when I need it. I just I, sure. I try to nip the subscriptions in the bud. Like, I just don't want all these. Subscriptions. That's good that you stay on top of that. I'm terrible. Yeah, like, I canceled. I canceled HBO. I canceled like, a bunch of stuff. I'm like, I'll get back to that. Like, I don't need that right when now. Something, you know, when the next nothing... season of Curb is, you'll get right. HBO back. Right. right. It's like, I don't need to. Have... So 
but I go on my computer and it's funny. This happens literally the day before, two days before the, Act- the Activision announcement. Because I go on and I'm like, all right, I want to cancel. And then it's like, all right, we'll cancel. Do you want to cancel immediately? And we'll even give you your dollar back. And I was like, ha, fuck you guys. And I hit it and I was like, you know, and, I, and then 36 hours later, they they announced that they bought Activision. And I was, like, it's your-. And I was talking about it on Discord. And I'm like, yeah, I, I totally, it's my fault. I'm sorry. Mia culpa. By the way, Kyle, I wrote all my yeah. notes. Can you guys see this? With my Activision pen. Oh, episode. look at that. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. I started my notes on the day it happened, I think, for this episode. So cool. Yeah. Friend of mine's wife, I think she's still at Activision. I, I, and I wonder what's going on over there. You know, you could speak to that more than I can. Yeah. Well, I actually, after this, I, I'm appearing on a podcast where it's, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. So, <laughs> so I did all that. By the way, for the Master Chief Collection, I played the first stage in the redone version and then i went back and played the old version for the rest of the game you could toggle Did back you and do forth the... in real time yeah it's pretty cool beautiful and uh so but i i want i was for me i was like all right i'll play it the way it was when i got to the halo i actually did bounce back and forth because i wanted to see because that that stage that second stage is just so beautiful and i remember oh, that i was talking is. to chris who we brought up earlier and i was like i remember that being the first stage and he's like everyone remembers that being the first stage so <laughs> Because the, the the way the halo goes into the, the what I love about it is like it goes into the distance, but there's also a breadth to it. Like you can tell it's really wide. It's deceiving. It's so cool. Gorgeous. The visuals. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home. And then there's a version of it where you have someone help you. You watch them do it the right way. And you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Uh, before we get into the, because I don't want to spend too much time about what it was and all of that. We do that sometimes, like where it came from and all of this. But and a lot it's of you worth know that note- already. Yeah, a lot yeah. of you guys know this already. But it's important to note that Halo and Bungie saved Xbox and that 12 or 18 months before Xbox was slated to come out, they still had no game for it. And 
Halo was under development by Bungie and Bungie at the time was known as a Macintosh developer, which is totally weird, but it's true. They were a Mac developer and they did these games called Marathon and read about that. they did. You know, I think they did like some real time strategy games and Halo, I think, was supposed to be a third person RTS. And at some point, Microsoft found it and brought it in house and made it their killer app. And it's just so interesting because it's easy to make fun of that. I've been making fun of Microsoft a lot because I'm like, they just go buy everything. They don't make anything. And of course, the famous story that they went and tried to buy Nintendo and got like laughed out of the room. Is that right? Yeah, they, they in the 90s, in the late 90s, they went to Kyoto and were like, we and apparently like Nintendo talked to them and like flew them out. And they say the Xbox guys themselves say like they basically laughed at us and then sent us back on a plane. Wow. And. And so their instinct has always been to go acquire things. It's still their instinct. It's it, it makes it feel ultimately like a very hollow brand to me. But there's no doubt that Halo is saved Xbox and is indelibly associated with Xbox. And there's also no denying. And I think you brought this up very well. Halo is great. It's a great game. And I remember at the time being quite enamored with it, but not as enamored, actually, as I was with it the second time or this third time, whatever it was that I've played it, because for many people, this was their introduction to first person shooters on console. That is not true for me. And that's not true for a lot of older gamers. We were playing stuff like Doom and Wolfenstein, even on SNES and PS1. But my introduction to what I would think would be proper first person shooting on console. And I think this is exactly the same for you. Do you know what, what game I'm going to bring up? PS1 game. I don't. Medal of Honor. Oh, sure. Of course. That was, I think the first time that you and I had really played a shooter. I remember Like that. on a console. I totally remember And I remember that. playing it with you because we were both enamored with it. We were like, this is insane. Remember, remember like showing that you show you like your, your papers and like put yes. them back and like, it was like so cool. And so that was my first, Medal of Honor is really important to me because that was my first first person shooter. And that's one of my favorite genres. In fact, my three games of the year for 2021 were two third person shooters and a first person shooter. So um, in, in Outriders, Far Cry 6 and Returnal. So that's like a genre that I really love. As I said earlier, in jumping into Halo, I don't think at the time I realized, maybe not because you're in the moment, but when going back, I'm like, holy shit. This game is iconic, not because it's great, which it is, but because I think Halo 2 is a much better game, but because look at it. <laughs> like, look at all the shit it does. And it's actually quite remarkable from that perspective. Wide open territory lots of enemy AI choices and intermingling enemies that fight each other and you aerial combat, ground combat, vehicular combat, open stages, small stages. In fact, Chris was the one that brought up to me. He's like, the reason that that second stage is so iconic to everyone is because they trick you into thinking that the game is going to be like every other shooter because the first stage is just corridors. Right. And so it was done that way by design so that when you get to the planet or the halo you're like holy shit what like you can go anywhere you want and now this is not a big deal anymore you turn on well far cry 6 is a good example a game i just played you turn on far cry 6 massive map and anything you can see you can go to we all, we know that now but this was a different time 20 years and ago. and so while i think the game suffers from a little bit of monotony certainly yes. the backtracking in the game is comical the reuse of assets is comical. Yes. But they were working in a limited time frame with a very broad game wherein I don't think the campaign itself is even what's most important about it. It's the land stuff that's most important about it. Stuff we didn't really do. 
And certainly I didn't do. I, I just don't care about that stuff. But does any of that resonate with you? Like, I'm just. I'm, I'm so drawn to this product because from almost like an artifact. Right. Where I was like, holy shit, there's. A regenerating shield, but static health. This is like a, these are these are the little design choices, right? For instance, Doom and Wolfenstein had just numbered health, numbered shields. So this idea of a regenerating shield, roving weapons, enemy weapons, getting in the air, going into the ground, eschewing vehicles all together and trying to get through areas. It's pretty awesome. So talk to me about like kind of some of your impressions of what might you might walk away from Halo the most, because I think one of the things I will say that's difficult to talk about is the story, because Mm. it's kind of nonsensical, honestly, in the game. And you have to and people told me this, like you need to know so much. There's books and I think in the future games, they go into it more. I think there's a game. Oh, sure. You know, Halo Reach and obviously all these other things. ODST, I think, is one of them. Okay. there's like all these different ways that you fill in the story. So I'm just unfamiliar with it. So I'm not enamored from a from a narrative standpoint at all. I don't okay. I don't care. I think the enemies are cool, but I don't really, you know, I don't care about all that. But I'm just so mechanically enamored with it and interested in all it does. So, I mean, what what stands out to you the most as you? Yeah, play? I mean, those are all awesome points, Kyle. I mean, for me, I go into a game like this, a legendary game, 20 years old, but of course, like the tip of the spear as far as a franchise to come that would become even more iconic with every iteration. I think Reach, I was reading about Reach, I think Reach is a prequel to CE, if I'm not mistaken, which is another interesting rabbit hole I found myself going down. But then I had to kind of stop myself because I didn't want to get confused. You know, when I go into an experience like this with any more modern game, this is not a modern game, but even the other stuff that we've played for Knockback, I have to kind of go in and ask myself, am I too easy to please? You know, you're talking to a guy who literally last week was speedrunning Super Mario 2, you know, from 1988. So I'm a notorious retro gamer. It's not, I don't want to dumb myself down too much. I play modern games, especially vis-a-vis knockback. But am I too easy to please? Do I, and maybe it's a little bit of my personality too, whereas I find the joy in it, I find the fun in it. Almost every game we've played for the show, I've really, I've really found myself um, enjoying. But I think for Halo, you know, I'm going in with a little bit of a critical eye knowing everybody loves this thing, right? I mentioned Star Trek before. It's like, everybody loves this thing. Let me see what all the fuss is about. Let me get in here, really get my boots on the ground and see what this is all about. From Almost from the outset, I really I realized going in, and I knew this already, that this game is celebrated for its, you know, fluid, butter-like gameplay, right? And I found that very early on. It was like, all right, yeah, I understand. This is very smooth, very satisfying. I found the game to be very accessible, which is important to a relative newbie like me for first-person shooters because um, I have to be—I have to find my my way in. I have to have my inroads. If it's too difficult, or if I feel like it's too complex, the controllers are a, list, a little too a little too much to handle, then I'll get discouraged. You know, so it, it it was very welcoming and accessible. I found just difficult enough to be challenging to keep you intrigued to keep you wanting to go forward with the game but accessible enough to feel satisfied that i'm having some success here i'm understanding how to toggle between the two weapons i'm understanding the loadout that i prefer how to deal with the enemies how the ai is which i found to be kind of impressive and again always thinking back to okay this game is two decades old let's say the enemy ai for instance the fact that 
things could get pretty overwhelming. You could get swarmed by enemies to the point where it almost feels like they're spawning endlessly, but they're not. There is an end, even to those most congested battles with hordes of enemies coming at you, it will end at a certain point. And the enemies behave in a way that make them a little challenging, even though you could, but you could find the patterns. You get, you get the patterns for each enemy, each enemy type, each swarm, the flood versus the covenant. And then you add in very simple mechanics, your life gauge, finding health packs, your uh, shields, and then accessing, as you said, the vehicles, the, the warthog, the scorpion, the banshee, the ghost, flying, land vehicles, and then finding, you know, finding little ways, little strategies for yourself. Like, okay, like I don't have to put too much stress on my loadout and finding the weapons I prefer and my ammo and all that kind of stuff. I could just get one of these, kind of man one of these gun batteries or hop in a warthog, wipe out an entire area with endless infinite ammo in those vehicles and then not have to rely on having to find more guns because my guns are fine. Things like that that I really enjoyed. And then graphically, again, for the Master Chief Collection, it was nice to be able to toggle between the 2001 version and the 2011 anniversary remaster. Granted, I wanted to have the discipline to stay in the 2001 version, but I found the 2011 option a little more appealing just in terms of lighting. The old one is very dark. You know, it's very low poly. It's so funny you bring that up because right? I was talking about the lighting specifically in the old one. I was talking to Mike and I was like, look at the lighting in this. The lighting isn't ambient. Like, I don't think the light sources exist, if that makes any sense. That like makes they, perfect I was, sense. I was, sure. trying, I was showing her, I'm like, look how the light doesn't have like a smooth gradient. It gets like, a, it gets like noticeably darker here than I move forward. It gets noticeably darker here yeah, than like I move forward. It gets notice Right. It's very interesting. That's true. It is interesting. But that was the kind of shit I was messing with the entire game where I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I think maybe as a game developer, although I'm really just a writer and a creative person, but I am in the nuts and bolts of games now much more than I used to be. And I think I'm impressed from that perspective, too. Where I was just like, holy shit, this is so interesting. I'm curious. Well, let's get into some of these questions because sure, we have so course. many inquiries. And I think this will allow us to uh, to get into some nitty gritty here. Okay. Noah J. Stevens wrote in and said. Hey, Brothers Moriarty, I was curious to know what both of your favorite parts about this game are. I know for Colin, the lore and religious aspects, aspects of the game are straight up his alley. As for Dagan, I think you will find the designs of the characters and enemies very enticing. Let me know if I was spot on or if I missed the mark. Hope you boys have a good day. I will say about Noah about the story is that, yeah, I wanted to care about the story. I was actually quite amazed how there was no almost no story until then. There was this one scene when you finally see the flood, I guess. For the first time where it's the camera angle of like a soldier, a Marine. Oh, sure. And I was like, this is more story than they showed the entire game so far. So I, I know what the game's about and I'm interested in it, but I wish that they took more time to put it in the game. And, but I, you know what? One of my favorite things about it was, and this is, this is cool. This is a cool solution. I think, I don't think I ever really realized that this was what Cortana was, but the fact that, that she brings Cortana, he brings Cortana with him. So, and puts it, in, her, in his helmet, I thought was really neat. So he, uh, he, it's not just one of those things like, oh yeah, there's a radio or she's talking to you from somewhere, but it had like a little more sense to it. Sure. And so I really dug that too. And I like that character, Cortana. I think she's interesting. I know that Microsoft is. Awesome character. Gone all in on that, that character and that persona because she's like the voice of Microsoft now and all How that. How crazy is that? But it's, I, I so I, I liked Cortana and like the entire idea of bringing, of them kind of being connected and having some sort of relationship 
you know, some sort of care for each other. I thought that was kind of neat. So that was actually one of my favorite things from the story. But I've already explained the some of the mechanical stuff that I really like. But did you find yourself disappointed or in, enjoy the story? I mean, what did you draw out of it without having re- to read Wikipedia or something? Which is yeah, well, that's what I basically had to do to understand what was going on. You do. I'm glad to hear that. I'm actually really relieved to hear that because it reminded me of my experience with Bioshock Infinite, where it's like a great story, but I'm getting so lost and just enjoying the gameplay that I'm wondering if I'm missing stuff. Bioshock Infinite came later, and it's a little bit of a different, a different story. But for, for Halo, it was interesting because I was really wondering, probably about a third of the way through, like, am I, am I just not paying attention because I'm just so ready to jump back into the gameplay that I'm not paying attention to the story? And then realizing, like, this is instruction book era. You know what I mean? Like there was Mm -hmm. an instruction booklet and I personally had to go in and read like Halopedia and stuff to get the backstory and then realized a that this is drawing a lot of influence from a lot of things, whether you're talking about Star Trek, Star Wars, Battlestar, see some a a lot of aliens franchise Mm -hmm. in this a little bit of Predator, some other maybe a little bit of um little bit of other sci-fi that you could I saw a little Macross in there with the you know the pipe chomping battleship admiral and stuff like that there's they're definitely drawing in influences sort of clearly and obscurely which I which I enjoyed on one hand then on the other hand realized like this is actually kind of a cool story and it's a shame that you don't get more but then thinking back to a 2001 perspective you had an instruction booklet and stuff like that once I got clear with the story with the humans what era this was set in, the fact that they were colonizing, taking a page definitely out of Starship Troopers and Aliens where you have these definitely. colonizing humankind and then an enemy, a vicious enemy that they're running up against. And then, you know, finding out a little more texture in the story that the enemy sort of worships an ancient alien race and then getting into the religious aspects of it, what the halo is, the treachery involved with this other AI Cortana being a great character. I think the voice acting really helped. One of the only sort of forms of entertainment, whether it's a game or a movie or TV show, that I that I was very polarized about in the fact of this is actually kind of a cool, grounded, interesting, Ray Bradbury-esque sci-fi story. Feeling that on one hand, and on the other hand saying, is this tongue-in-cheek and purposely a little bit cheesy and purposely a little bit of unapologetically almost parodying the things that it's sending up, sort of the the brazen send-ups that it has, especially with things like aliens. I didn't know if it was serious or if it was supposed to be sort of comedic and purposely cheesy. I don't and and that could also speak to that the fact that it's dated now too. You know, this is a two-decade-old thing. But feeling that way, trying to figure it out, like, is this a serious story? I really love what's going on with the Covenant. I love that they, you know, after I read that they sort of, the, what was it, the Forerunners, this pre, this alien race, this ancient alien race that they sort of, um, they sort of admire and, and worship. And then, you know, realizing like there's some really good grounded components for sci-fi here, but I'm not sure if it's supposed to be more like Starship Troopers. You know, not feeling, and maybe that's right. just because I'm just, I'm at the very beginning of this and that I have to explore all the iterations. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's as, it might be. I mean, people might be offended. Starship, Starship Troopers is incredibly deep. It's about oh, fascism yeah. and it is. all that. I don't know that 
And it's so funny you said that because when I just did my new bookshelf and like the custom bookshelf I had and I took all my books out and probably put them on Starship Troopers and hardcover was on there. I was like, oh, man, what a, what a book. Good but shit. I think that it is supposed to be serious. I think part of the reason why it's not it's very similar to Grand Theft Auto, actually, which three, which came out a, this. No, actually came out a month before, which is it's hard to make you take things seriously when characters look like this and when they they move like this and think about the last of us part two or something and and then try to put that on the ps1 and see how much emotional resonance you get out of it It, it's going to come off like wrong so i think that that's part of it is that they think they were pushing pushing the boundaries i also think that they didn't have enough time probably to really they were fucking with this thing apparently to the very 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 end of gold right before they published the disc and i just don't think they had a lot of time i think that that's the story if anything was just a a bygone kind of thing. But I will agree with you that in going back again to that era, I was like, yeah, the voice acting is not only good, but, but voluminous, like there's a lot of it and there are characters and there's a little bit of emotion. And I will have to say also the music I kept, Mm. this is a game I would usually listen to podcasts or shit when I was playing because there's not really anything going on in it. (laughs) But I know people have such an admiration for Marty O'Donnell and his soundtrack in this game. And it's, it is awesome. What's funny about him is is how he just later on completely had a severance from Bungie and they're like arch enemies. Oh, now. wow. He, I didn't know about this. Like after Destiny, I think he got sued. Bungie sued him. Wow. So there's like all sorts of weird shit with him. Holy shit. But, you know, he's obviously an iconic composer. And so I enjoyed that aspect of it as well. But I really think that I was just in for the game or for the beat to beat kind of gameplay. And I want to talk to you a little bit about level design. Jacob wrote in. And said, this is one of my favorite games of all time, and there is so much to praise about it. But after a recent playthrough, there is a glaring weakness at the core of this game that I would like to discuss, the level design. Mm. After many, many campaign runs, you can't help but notice the repeated rooms with the same designs, all connected by the same corridors. The library is an obvious target, the server does so, but one of the worst offenders is the salt on the control room. I dread weaving my way through the octagonal rooms and crossing those bridges half the time thinking I'm lost and going in circles. Did you copy paste levels and the repetitive nature stick out to you guys at all or negatively impact your enjoyment? Definitely. This was one of the things that I noticed as well. When I wrote the history of Naughty Dog, we created this sort of, it wasn't like a parable, but a story about that we learned or that I learned in talking to different people that there was this, when you're talking about 3D spaces, no one really knew how to do it. No one knew like what the solution was. And the games we always, always brought up in tandem were Crash Bandicoot, Super Mario 64 and Knights on Mm, Saturn. Sure. Each of those are 3D games, but they deal with it in totally different ways. Super Mario World, Super Mario 64 is pretty open and they get rid of it's polygonal, but they get rid of like textures and shit like that. Like they've made they've made concessions with beauty. It's not pretty. It's not. I don't think Mario 64 has ever been a pretty game. I know a lot of people think, but come on. So (laughs) Crash Bandicoot. They went 3D, but they removed the openness. So you only see things from certain angles so they can. Even though it's in 3D, even though you're coming across to the screen against the screen, you're going side to side. They're see- you're only seeing exactly what they want you to see, and you can't do anything to the camera to see anything you don't want to see. So that's a focus three a focus 3D thing that gives the allure of 3D with all of the the design shops, the textures, the beauty, but it removes choice. And then of course, Knights is somewhere in the middle because Knights is really like on rails almost, and they deal with draw distances and cloudiness and fog and all that to to get their stuff going. And I bring all that up because no one really knew what the right, the right choice was. They all were approaching it at the same time. So they didn't really know they didn't have anyone else to learn from. 
And I think in some way, Halo is maybe the same because they didn't, they, there's a whole history of first person shooters in the 90s on PC from Doom and Wolfenstein and all the id stuff to Hexen and all the, like everything that was out. There was just so many shooters. But I think Halo decided that they were going to do something different, which was we want this thing to be huge. We want to give you scope and scale. And they do that well, but it does come at the cost of cohesiveness. So every choice that is made in design typically has a deficit. And I think the deficit here is we're going to make big environments. We're going to make labyrinthine environments, but we're going to have to sacrifice the various touches that will make them seem unique. And I found myself in the game often just going through quarters being like, I guess this is the right way. I have no idea. I have no idea where I'm going. And you would always just go and looking for the next enemy. Because one thing the game does really well, too, is it, it keeps blood. It keeps bullet holes. It keeps bodies on screen, which yeah. is pretty neat. Weapons. And I don't know if that's in the original or just in Master Chief Collection. That seems like very RAM intensive, but it kind of gives you a, an evidence of where you've been. So you can use that as a map. And also, when I was reading this, literally, those little light things on the bottom with the arrows and everything, like sure. they put that in the game because people were getting lost. That's during why. focus testing. Yeah. So it's not a problem unique to just some players. This was clearly something that they were grappling with. And I find it to be the weakest aspect of the game for sure. Oh, yeah. I understand why it is that way, but I was making fun of it towards the end when Michael was watching me. I'm like, there's no doubt that I'm going to be backtracking out of this place now. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt I'm going all the way in and then all and then the way I'm back be coming all up. the way back. And now and now Halo is not unique to this. We make fun of Uncharted in this way because there'll always be like waist high boxes. Last of Us does this too. Like waist high boxes as you're going into a place and you're like, okay, clearly I'm going to be working my way out of this and I'm going to be fighting, right? Like, so did you get, was your opinion or not opinion, was your experience of Halo affected by these design shortcomings in which they chose scope over the nitty gritty of individualistic design? Absolutely. I mean, that was one of the few glaring negatives for me were those interiors. I mean, first of all, I have to celebrate the fact that I love the game has a nice mixture of indoor and outdoor settings. And it also has a very set piece approach and philosophy, you know, a very great variety and mixing it up beautifully and entertainingly in terms of environment. So you have the desert, you have the tropical beach and the mountains and the swamp and the snowy expanse and then futuristic building interiors and caves and ancient temples and forests. You have pretty much everything. A very Star Wars-esque approach. Definitely always, when I see that, always reminds me of the original Star Wars trilogy. Very purposely mixing it up in terms of like, let's put the, our heroes in a, in a new spot. And it, that's a very colorful and entertaining approach, I think, to just entertainment in general. So I love that it had that. But once you get into those interiors... And you realize that the geography and the architecture of a lot of these indoor environments is feeling a little revised and a little samey. And that there's a big, there's a really glaring sort of approach to reuse. Just in terms of, not just in terms of visual settings though, in terms of gameplay and engrossing you in a world, but just in terms of progression and exploration, you know, that deja vu effect. And getting a little confusing and getting turned around, we realize they put these arrows in. Or I love what you said about you run across a new swarm of enemies, which was always an indication that you were going in the right direction. Or maybe you would get a little audio exposition for Cortana or something like that. But there was always something it, to it, project. It requires, a, it requires almost a gamer's knowledge, even at that time, to, like, to know what to expect. I can imagine a lot of people getting very lost. Definitely. You have to have those. Yeah, very good point. Those gamer-esque 
tip-offs to like, okay, I am going in the right direction. But I think that was tempered a little bit. I, I have to say in all fairness, it wasn't too bad for me because although it gets frustrating and it gets monotonous to see those same environments in those same hallways and corridors, I think the exploration was so light. You know, it's it's 85% linear that sometimes even getting turned around was advantageous because you would find a little outlet or a hallway with a health pack or something or a shield regeneration or something. So sometimes that paid off. And I tell you, what it got me looking forward to the most was those outdoor environments, those vast outdoor environments, specifically that snow environment, which I thought felt large for a 10-year-old game, a 20-year-old game. And not only in terms of horizontal exploration, but also vertical and having to ascend and the banshees and the ghosts up to the different doorways and ice bridges and stuff like that. I thought that was really impressive for a game this this old. Yeah, I think so, too. My one question in terms of the I don't know, I didn't understand why the ships were so big. That was my one. That was my one thing. I'm like, why are they so big? Why is everything so big? Because we're, we're obviously doing Battlestar Galactica kind of concurrent to this. And yeah. I love how Battlestar, even the, the Cylons, but certainly the humans, everything kind of exists for a reason, even though these ships were built at anchorages in orbit. So they don't it doesn't matter how heavy and big they are, really. They, they still try to use a judicious space. I, I just didn't understand why these from a from a narrative standpoint, I'm like what the fuck are these massive ships? <laughs> just empty, massive shit doesn't really make any sense. But but nonetheless, it was it, it was a, it was fun to kind of go in between and out of the different stages and all of that. Uh, I really liked the swamp stage. I liked the 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 outdoor kind of snowy stage. The particle effects were pretty impressive. And I know people kind of bullshit the the library stage is being kind of redundant and all of that but i enjoyed to your point going inside and outside inside and outside and i i guess i didn't really know what the story was about going in i didn't remember that it would all kind of take place on halo right so for some reason i remembered going different places but you're not you're really going to like a ship and then you're going into space and then you're coming back down to the surface and all that so i it felt kind of coherent from that point of view but one of the things i wanted to ask Dave, because we We, we played this other game in 2020. I had played it before, but it was your first time. Certainly, Mass Effect took massive influence from Halo. Would you agree with that from the aesthetic, from the sound, from all that? Just, I see a lot of Mass Effect in this game. Absolutely. Did, did you see that as well? Yeah, down to the art direction too. You know, and feeling like uh, Mass Effect coming a little bit later, right? And being, being a little more 2007 yeah. overall, right? Certainly. But... Halo, here's the problem, I think, with Halo in terms of art direction is that I think it's a li- it borrows a little too much. It takes a little bit from Aliens, Star Trek, Battlestar, and I like the design, but I feel like it's steeped in a little bit of everything. It's sort of a mixture of cake ingredients that makes this other thing from a, from a recipe from a card rather than developing its own recipe. And that could be, you know, that kind of makes it feel, I think that's what I was trying to say before and not, not articulating successfully, was that it makes it feel a little campy to me. And now, I'm very steeped. I like stylish science fiction, right? I like cyberpunk. I just got through watching the first season of Cowboy Bebop, the original animated series. Talk about a world that creates its own atmosphere. Very inventive, very stylish. I tend to be attracted more to that flavor of science fiction, where this feels a little more, like I was saying, Starship Troopers before, in Starship Troopers sort of calling up the B-movie 
trope of the attacking giant insect them 1950s sci-fi as we knew it back then into the 60s halo feels a little bit like that to me so far now i'm on the two decade old first iteration who knows what's going to come and i can't wait to explore that but that's what it feels like to me it feels a little less inventive and a little more like it borrows from this and that and it's a conglomeration of those things that it's sending up if that makes sense no definitely it makes perfect sense and i feel like they they considering the confines of the project and the the speed at which they were moving the game from one platform to another bungie learning console development really having come from a mac space dealing with a company i'm sure they never thought that they would deal with especially in the the 90s when apple and microsoft had serious beef with each other so it's it's very very interesting how did you feel about the the idea in the game of backtracking did that bother you like going deep into a place and then coming out of it 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 got repetitive i wouldn't have mind doing it once or twice but every time it got to be you know kind of a, a known commodity that every time you would get into an out you know an indoor environment you would have to find your way out of there again. You were almost sort of doing the Hansel and Gretel breadcrumb approach. Like, all right, mm. I, I remember going this way because I know I'm going to have to come back out. I know I'm going up this elevator. I'm going to have to go back down it at a certain point. So, But you realize, I mean, just in terms of knowing what game design was, especially that long ago, that was sort of you know something that they had to compromise on. And um, I think they do a good job of building it into the gameplay and not making it too egregious just because it's fun to play. But that was definitely a a glaring spot where they could have improved it for sure. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Let's talk about the enemies. Oh. Takoyaki wrote in and said, hello there, gents. Hello there. Halo CE has the best introduction to a sinister enemy in any video game ever, the Flood. The buildup to the introduction was absolutely immaculate to me with the swamp level, eerie quietness with no music throughout the entire level, enemies in a state of panic and routing before you even engage them. Then the slow realization that the elites are missing and both human and alien blood are all over the walls. Then there's the footage you find of the dead Marine that leads right up to the introduction. I think the craziest takeaway from the whole level was the dead Marines and jackals in the same area, which seems to be telling a story of the Covenant and UNSC briefly working together to fight this more sinister foe. And lastly, did you guys know the Flood were, act- were acting watchmen in the swamps at a distance? What did you guys think of the introduction of the Flood? How do you feel when you first came across this level? Good shit. I love the idea of a three-way fight. It's good shit. Definitely. And these factions that it's like I brought up a few episodes ago that that random Harry Turtle Dove alternate history novel in which World War Two needed to be halted because we got invaded by aliens. Oh. And so everyone had to cooperate. Right. <laughs> it's shit. it's cool because there is a lot of environmental storytelling here, which there isn't in a lot of other stages. And the idea that you see these things fighting and you can, and I, there are times where I just would wait. I just step back and be like, well, let's see what happens. And 
I dug that. Like you can just make yourself not seen, not known. I wasn't quite sure what the rules were with when enemies knew you were there. And if they knew that was something that Halo lacks, which a lot of other games Far Cry, I think, does it the best where it, you know, when an enemy sees you because the game tells you like there's a little the little half circle and it fills and it closes and all that. Sure. So it was hard for me to know when an enemy was even seeing me or not. But I really liked the three way battle between the Covenant, the Flood and then the humans and also the betrayal. I, I love that that stage with three, four, three guilty spark and then into the library when they turn on you. Good shit. I think that that's good stuff, too. So what do you make about the different enemy factions and fighting them and how they all kind of combined? Well, yeah, you know, that whole idea, like you said, bonding in the face of a common enemy, that's just a fun thing in 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 our stories and our entertainment. And I love what this game did. You know, it's it gave you this whole formula, this whole dynamic where you're fighting this partially, you know, this alien, partially robotic, partially cybernetic enemy, very distinctive types. There's four or five different iterations that you could battle that you would encounter. And the game gives you that for a while and kind of spoon feeds you that formula. And then all of a sudden it turns on a dime and introduces this whole other dynamic, this whole other element in the flood, which is this parasitic biological type enemy. Very interesting spoke, you know, smacks of aliens franchise, right? Super fun. It reminds me of the Reapers in Mass Effect too. Yes. Yes. Great point. Yeah. Sort of like, yeah, sort of Mass Effect meets alien or aliens. Interestingly enough. And almost every enemy or every, even every, uh, every character in this game calls up something for me. It was very, it was very uh, cool journey in that regard in the send ups. But I love the whole, the way this game sort of changes halfway in. And it's like, you, now you have this whole other enemy to deal with. The Covenant is dealing with them too. Your approach to fighting them is, is different, even though there's only probably what three types of flood enemies. It's enough of a change where, and there, you know, not only do they swarm you with sheer numbers, but they're pretty difficult to fight to the point where it got, I was going to hopefully run, I was hoping to run across Covenant enemies rather than the Flood because they were, they were paying the ass to deal with, kind of scary. And uh, took a lot of endurance to get through some of those battles. But I love the way the game sort of changes halfway in and, and introduces that whole other element. Again, very impressive from a gameplay perspective that, the game changes pretty drastically, you know, whatever it is, 45%, 50% in, into, your, into your journey, which I thought was um, really fun and was a nice surprise. And again, going into something completely unspoiled, I had no idea what I was in for with this game at all, besides the fact I'd be playing with this green armored motocross looking dude. That's all I knew, yeah. that this was going to be our protagonist. Um, I didn't know he, w- I thought he was going to be like a silent hero. I yeah, didn't, know that I didn't remember if he talked speak. either, but he's not. Yeah, he speaks. Yeah, so he, interesting, man. I love that his name is John, which I think is so fucking funny. John 117 or something. I got to be honest with you, though, about <gasps> this is my, I think, this is just an aesthetic problem because I don't really know the character. I think Master Chief's corny. Like, oh, I, that's I, what I'm saying. It, yeah, yeah, no, I, but I mean, even the, the, he's iconic, but aesthetic is, I'm like, this isn't, he's not cool. <laughs> like, I, I don't look at him and I never thought Master Chief was a cool character. Even I, for 2001, uh, right? No, like I just felt like it would have been like, all right, this guy's kind of cheesy. He's a dude with a hell. I, I just, I don't know enough to really judge him apart from that, but I just never, I never took him very seriously sure. as a character. Let's say I totally get it. To maybe, maybe, maybe that's an error though. An era. Brendan Benton wrote into us and said, "Hey there, Moriarty Bros. Just a quick line, but what were your go-to weapons? The pistol oh. was always a safe bet due to it being so strong in the assault rifle, purely because that is what the chief always has in every cutscene. There is also no doubt how OP the, the shotgun was. Thanks, guys, and love the show as always. Oh my God, I love the shotgun. So OP. If, 
Oh my, yeah, I was just fucking clowning people out with the shotgun. I did like the pistol. I didn't, I, I remember I, something was percolating in my mind. I was like, I remember people saying the pistol was overpowered because you could aim it and all of that. Yeah. I found the assault rifle. You used it a lot, but it didn't seem very satisfying. I liked the two different laser weapons. They sounded like G.I. Joe laser weapons and how one would just shoot and then one you could like power up and shoot. Sure. These large, yeah, yeah, yeah. these large beams. And then you have the missile launchers and all of that. What, what were your weapons of choice the needler of course the, which is cool the needler is cool but it's just that's a stupid weapon i hated that weapon. yeah the needler looks cool i saw yeah. that there's a mega blocks uh build for that like you could i don't know how old it is but i thought that was kind of cool it's iconic with those crystals sticking out of it and everything like that but yeah i didn't i it's funny that you say that because i didn't enjoy using that too my loadout of choice my preference for almost the entire game as it turned out was the assault rifle and the plasma rifle which the elites carry, the elite Covenant soldiers, which reminded me, I was calling them uh, Cylon Centurions the whole time because they, they kind of, they were the tall, bipedal blue guys. Mm. They look like Cylons crossed with maybe um, General Grievous or something. And they even sounded like General Grievous when they yelled at you and laughed and stuff like that. I love their plasma rifles. So I would always do a tandem of the assault rifle, the Marine assault rifle, assault rifle and the plasma rifle. Almost for the entire game, I preferred that. The shotgun was great and I loved getting it, but they were purposely stingy with the shotgun ammo. I feel like it was really overpowered, but they tempered that by it seemed like they were making the uh, the ammo hard to find, which which was interesting. Yeah, the other Covenant weapons I didn't really prefer. The handgun, the Marine handgun, I did prefer. And yeah, all the UNSC weapons I thought were good. All three or four of them I thought were were a lot of fun. And then mixing it up, between getting into the, you know, toggling the third person and getting in the vehicles, especially the Warhog. But that was so, so much fun. So simple. But I thought that was a really nice dynamic because maybe I love how lean the gameplay is, you know, just enough to keep it interesting. I have a very type A approach to managing my weapon. So I would always toggle, make sure everything was fully loaded going into it. I was way overprepared because you realize in this game, you know, at a certain point, you realize, we talked about this with other games, where you could just run through. There's some some places you can't, but I would say probably a good three quarters of the places you could just run through with the shotgun and take a shot when you needed to, but just get from A to B quickly. But um, I love that. I love that it was just lean enough where it kept things interesting. One thing I was expecting was for there to be more weapons as you went in, but... In retrospect, that wouldn't have made much sense because you're encountering the flood later on. And for the most part, even though some of them are armed, for the most part, they were a biological sort of parasitic weapon. They didn't they didn't need to brandish weapons like the, the Covenant. Or the yeah, it would, make, it would make sense that everyone would just have their sidearm there. At a certain weapon. point, you had everything available to you. Yeah, right. There was no evolution there. Well, you brought up the Warthog. We have to talk about that. Kurt Lewin wrote in and said, hey, guys. I had no experience of Halo till last year when I played this game via the Master Chief Collection and oh. liked it a lot. It really did feel unique even today with its open level design. However, along with the much discussed library level, the other aspect I really disliked was how the Warthog controls. <laughs> Why do we have to use the analog sticks to drive this thing in this day and age instead of the triggers like in every other game with a vehicle these days? I found the control method so frustrating that it ruined what would have been an epic finale where instead of racing through the spaceship, I was carefully plodding along wrestling with the controls. Did you share my frustration with the Warthog's controls? Yes. Now... That last stage, I was actually shocked because I, I talked about it on on um, went on Discord and talked about it just a bit. I was like, man, that last stage sucks. And people were. I was like, wow, that that's just what an anticlimax having to struggle with that. And people are crazy. That's like the, my iconic ending. I'm like, 
maybe I'm just not used to it. It's not using the sticks to to guide the warthog. The problem, and see, this is another issue coming from when people didn't know what they were supposed to do. Like they were just making solutions up, and it's kind of cool when you look at it. But their solution was, will you use the right stick as locomotion? And that makes no sense. Yeah, that's so. Tough. Like you're you're aiming. Left stick is locomotion. Right stick is camera. The right stick is not supposed to move you. It's supposed to move your perspective. Yes. And we've 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 come to that solution over many years of play. But Halo didn't come to that solution. And so make driving the Warthog was awful. I I wanted to like it so much, but I just (laughs) I just couldn't do it in that last stage. I was like, this is what the fuck? I can see what you're trying to get me to do, but I don't know how you can how you think I'm going to do that. There was even a time in the last stage where I tried to just go on foot. Oh, you did, and and but it won't let you. Like there, the, the there's like big hills, and it will just slide you back down, convincing oh. you to go get the warthog. So I was there curious about that. If Cortana would just be kind of encouraging you to get back in the warthog or something, I didn't mess with that. But what did you think about driving the warthog and all that? I have it, to it say, man, I have to yeah. boast here a little bit because I had yeah. a very pronounced experience with this. When I first got in the Warthog, I was like, oh shit, here we go again. Like another vehicle that's not going to control well. That was kind of like, kind of a polished, impressive thing to put in in theory, but wasn't going to work well. It took me about 10 minutes. I got good driving that thing. Here was the trick. What you said about the camera and the steer really wasn't the camera. It was really steering it, right. as it turned out, which is really a bad way to describe it and very misleading. I found that if you had a loving, and it was, very odd to propel that thing with the right thumbstick. And once you get the idea of that, though, I found if you just had a real loving touch with the steering, just caress that wheel a little bit. Because if you steer it a little bit, it's going to go off like 90 degrees. So knowing that you have to have a really light touch with that steering, I got good at it, dude. I I had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was very rugged the way it had a very four-wheel drive approach where you could just like go right over rocks eventually and stuff like that. Now, I do share your frustration of that last level, though, with having to commandeer the Warthog and go through the jumps and stuff. The, The problem there was it's just not fast enough. You know what I mean? Like you really want to make those jumps and hit the upper tier every time, and you really couldn't. I don't know, maybe like the best speed runner at CE would be able to do it. But I found that very frustrating where I just wanted to go faster to make those jumps really happen. And you are making the jumps the way you're supposed to, but you feel like you're missing. Um, so that was my problem with it, with it in the speed. But I really enjoyed I really enjoyed it for the most part. Every time I run across a Warthog in a level, I would take it. My, my frustration the most with the vehicles was that we very rarely get to use the Scorpion tank which i thought was really fun just in the sense of like having that sort of like you know that having that dest- majorly destructive weapon where the other two vehicles were flying vehicles they were fun but that was my only thing the warthog i really i enjoyed that man i i r- really felt proud of myself because i'm usually terrible at that sort of thing and i got there was a learning curve and i i ended up getting it which was uh satisfying <laughs> for some of the control scheme in the game, which was I think was so good. Yeah, I was I was surprised by this because it just it doesn't mix with what you've been learning all these years about the way we control everything. And I don't know if they carry that through to the other games, but yeah, that was peculiar to me. I will say that I did dig and I was really impressed with the AI, though not the enemy AI, but the friendly marine AI. You get next to them, one gets in, one gets into the gun. And all this, there's a lot, 
there's a lot of dice rolling and behind the scenes kind of things happening here that make it all work. But I was so let down by the last stage because I, again, like it's like you said, you can see it. It's like a sonic stage. You see exactly what you're supposed to do. It's a matter of if you're going to do it or not, or be able to do it. And that, and I just wasn't <laughs> one major complaint. I will say like probably my biggest complaint about the game though, is it's really loose use of checkpoints. So there's a checkpoint philosophy saying that, and I think it's a philosophy that still plays through saying we're going to save the, it's like a, it's a, it's a frame. We're saving this frame. And when you die, you go back to the frame and it begins again. But the problem with that philosophy is that it leaves you stuck with what you had. Yes. And there were two places in the game on st- one on stage five and one on stage eight where I got stuck on both places for I died probably 50 times in the game. And I bet you I died 45 times just in those two spots. And it was because I had like half my health. I had a shitty weapon and it was so frustrating. That was like one major design just out of all the design things we're talking about that really annoyed me. I was like, ah, this imaging. I understand why you do this because you don't want people to go die, go back to a checkpoint full health. You can just spoof it by doing that and get through the game easily. But there's a better way than the way they did it. And you were talking about just running forward. It reminded me of Call of Duty World at War, which is a game you've never played and I'm sure you won't. But it was a Treyarch shooter 2009, I want to say. Okay. And that was notorious for having these monster closets where the game would become easier just running through it and trying to get the checkpoint to read. And I found myself in some time, some parts doing this, too, where there's just a bunch of enemies and I'm like, I'm just going <laughs> right into the corridor. And you're just hoping that you see the checkpoint thing on the top. Yes. You know, so you can manipulate. So uh, it reminded me a little bit of that, too, where you're trying to manipulate it. But did you have any frustrating encounters with the way the game saved and the stat to stay the state that it left you in when you respawned? Yeah, you know, what? for the most part, I found it OK. I was I accepted it. There were a couple of points, if I'm not mistaken, too, where you started a mission where they gave you a particular loadout where you can't take your you can't take your exact guns into the new into the new campaign, which yeah, is I not think that really, when right? well, I think when I was going to say, well, I think when I think it kind of says it doesn't say, but it's kind of indicating like chief is back with the crew. So now he's getting his right. He's getting back, his arm, right? his yeah, right. his uh. The, his his uh tailored rollout or loadout or whatever but yeah that that was really the only thing for me for the most part i found it like the guns that i wanted weren't oh weren't too far out of reach they weren't too far away when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply one thing I found very impressive, Kyle, that your talk made me think of is that I was expecting this game to be soft locky. Like I, I soft locked. I managed to soft lock in Horizon, you know. So this game, dating back this far, I was like, oh man, I got to be careful not to, because I like to go off the beaten path and explore and look for things. And you, you realize in this game, you don't really have to do that very much. In fact, you're not probably not supposed to. But I got myself into some. <laughs> into some pickles where it's like yeah all right i don't know like am i gonna am i gonna lose all my progress here and i think the closest i ever got to that was maybe 
clipping through some snowy precipice in a banshee where I wasn't supposed to go. And that was just like, I went through some architecture that wasn't really there. It was like, you know, uh, a hologram of some, of some kind. But that was really it for the most part. I was, I, and I was curious about that. You know, when I go back to a game this old, especially playing the 10-year remaster, the anniversary edition, are they going to fix that? And I didn't run across any of that. I didn't get myself in any jackpots with that, which I which I tend to do. So I thought that was impressive. But for the most part, the weapon stuff, it didn't it didn't really bother me. I think that was the most egregious thing was realizing if there's a gun battery, like a turret in an area or a vehicle, commandeer that thing or two. There's usually a couple. So even if they blow it up, you could jump in the other one. Take out as many en- enemies as you can because, again, I think making it, and I don't know, I play, I have to admit, I play this game on an easier level. So maybe in the more difficult levels, it's like this. But for my campaign, the vehicles weren't subject to ammo limitations. So you just spam everything in sight with that thing until it's destroyed. I think that was the one thing that made it relatively easy besides being able to run through. You weren't always able to run through. But I think that's probably a problem inherent in first-person shooters, especially ones of this age, right? Anyway, where it's like you got to make it a thing, like a very Zelda-esque dungeon thing of old, where it's like you have to destroy every enemy before the door opens type of thing. If you don't put that sort of mechanic in, then there's really no reason to do it unless it's fun. And in this game, I found it fun. I wanted to take out all the enemies. I thought it was really satisfying, whether that was a... uh, you know, a combination of the combat, the weapons, the enemy AI, again, just satisfying and accessible enough to want to do it, to want, for me, to want to do those things. And that's what made it a, a good time for me, I think. You're right in the sense, too, that, and I think one of the things that's impressive about the game's combat, combat evolved, is the, the, the way that the game, the game doesn't, it gets harder, but it doesn't overwhelm you. I was noting to Micah when she was watching, I'm like, isn't it interesting how they don't just keep beating the shit out of you the worse you more you get into the game in fact jimmy two-face wrote in and said gentlemen are grunts not only one of the most fun things to kill in any video game ever a comedic based enemy and otherwise in an otherwise serious video game i can't name many other games that do that and have have it work so well great point it's true like i think they are fun to kill and i think that the game does a nice job of constantly mixing it up and just the gradient of getting difficult as it gets towards the delta is not sharp the game doesn't get crazy hard And I think that a lot of that has to do with very clever use of AI, very clever use of monster closets. And one of the things that I wrote in my notes that I really wanted to bring up was the use of drop ships. I'm not entirely sure where this began, but showing enemies coming into the map is awesome. And Resistance used to do this to great effect. In fact, I went to a GDC talk for Resistance 3 where they talked all about enemy placement. And I was like, all, all it was about was why they put enemies where they put them and how they came into the map and all that. And it goes to your philosophy of having generally finite amount of enemies. There are a few parts of the game where they'll keep throwing enemies at you forever if you don't move on. It's because it's trying to make you move forward, not backwards. Right. There's a part where you're like, there's a, these enemies just coming out of a ship, like out of a hole, a hole in the ship, and they'll keep coming until you move forward. But generally speaking, they, they do a nice job of making it, as you said earlier, finite, and then get mixing it up. So here's the flood, here's a grunt, here's a big enemy, here's a vehicle. Okay, now we're going to make it a little easier and reward you. Now we're going to have an enemy dropship come in. And I love the dropships because then you can run up to them and start hammering them and getting the enemies as they come out of it. Great point. Which is super fun. So there's a lot of really satisfying things. It's not quite like Wolfenstein and Doom in the 90s where the enemies were just coming from unknown places. That's fine. But 
I really dug that as well. And Joshua Hancock wrote in and said, hey, guys, I just recently started playing Halo. Do the enemies feel spongy to you? I'm playing on normal difficulty and I'm dying a lot. Thanks for all you do. They didn't feel spongy to me. I don't know if that's true for you, too, but the game, the Xbox game series that reeks of sponginess to me is is Gears of War. Mm. I love Gears of War, but those are spongy enemies. You want to talk about fucking spongy. I, I Did you find the enemies to be absorbing a lot of hits or did you find that they were just getting taken out easily? You know, no, I always found a way. You know, I love, again, that there's not that there is a finite, mostly number of enemies, infinitely spawning enemies just always feels thoughtless to me and sloppy. And you're right. The difficulty with the enemies and your combat never gets discouraging. Just just hard enough to want to egg you on, maybe get you a little angry that you want to accomplish your goal or just that's fun, you know, or a combination of both things. I didn't find them spongy. I found that there was always a weakness. Everyone is different. I used to, in fact, I have the, the list of enemies here, those King Yar, the jackals, which have the those round big plasma shields. I would just run up on those guys, hit the shield a couple of times, they would turn sideways and they'd just shoot them, the, their, the little skinny bird-like guys. So there was always a way, even those big tanks, those hunter characters, those big armored guys, two melee attacks, just run up and hit them with your plasma rifle twice, they were down. So I always found that there was a way to deal with the the elites, which I always encountered because I always wanted to take their rifles. I was always excited to see them. They One thing I read, which I didn't realize, is they have a shield much like you do, much like Master Chief. So you have to break through that shield first. Yeah, so you can any, see it break, which is cool. Like yes, You see it breaking. Yeah, you see it yeah. shatter or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you could. So that's the one enemy that did feel maybe like, until I understood, okay, they have a shield, so... But another one, you just run up on with a shotgun. It's a one-shot deal. So, And then again, like the, our, our, our uh, earlier listener commented on the grunts, just having that little comedic guy that's fleeing and jeering and like a gonk droid and an Ewok, you know what I mean? Maybe a droidy car from Phantom Menace or something. Right. But it's laughing at you and it's running. Sometimes it's running away with its arms up. You feel almost bad killing that guy. Yeah, like just shooting him in the back with their shotgun, just (laughs) sending him flying. There are a lot of like little gameplay moments that I think really are attractive to people in Halo, no doubt, because they always share their videos online. But I love when enemies would jump at you and you just shoot them in the air and then they would die in the air and just fly by you, you know, and then they're and I, I dug everyone had different blood type, like different blood colors. So you didn't know it was it was really there's a lot of really interesting design choices here. I really enjoyed the experience of playing it, even with the little, the little deficits, the the save mirroring and all that. There there yeah. are some weird things, but there's no doubt that the game just has a wonderful aesthetic. Interesting. If you're not into kind of sterile sci-fi, I can understand why it wouldn't be attractive to you. Sterile I personally sci-fi am, is a good word, Carl. That's yeah. perfectly put. Yeah, perfectly put. Right, like Star Trek is sterile sci-fi. Yes. Star Wars to me is not. And... Uh, certainly Battlestar Galactica and The Expanse. I mean, these are almost realistic sci-fi shows and stories. But it That's does have more... a breath of aliens and a little bit mm-hmm. of other flavors of sci-fi, too, I guess, in all fairness. But I know what you're saying. Well, it does in the in the enemies and yes. maybe the story, the intent. But I think the aesthetic is very shiny. And I would have loved to have seen maybe it gets different later on. But I every time I see Halo, even Halo Infinite and the videos going around, I'm like, man, this just so it's still exactly like the that. same. Yeah, like it is. That's my one thing. Uh, that's what people like. It looks, but to me, I'm. I look at it and I'm like, this is exactly the same as Halo One. This looks exactly the They're same. They're sticking it just to their looks, guns in a way. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's it, it is what it is, which is totally fine. And certainly, it had. You know, there are shooters that came out that had a lot of, like 
kill there's a, a game called kill switch which was a third person cover based shooter that was really influential on gears of war and of course black which was a ea first person shooter was massively influential on on games that came later as well but i think halo just obviously had this indelible effect on sci-fi aesthetic even more than shooting because it's floaty jump really high the weapons are energy weapons and Good bullet point. weapons it's got this whole different it's not kill zone or something like that but it's the aesthetic that might be my least favorite part of it and it makes sense and i think master chief is probably my like i just don't care about master chief i don't i don't i don't know enough about him but i just look at it and i'm like you're no nathan drake friend you're more like kratos to me than than a real character sure and that maybe that's like my biggest insult that i would put towards it is i just don't i don't understand the like cortana is way cooler than oh cortana is awesome i agree yeah yeah you know what it's funny like i was expecting that with master chief like this faceless overpowered enhanced super soldier type character and again with the even having a voice it seems like they're kind of floating between two worlds with that like is he a character or is he an avatar in which to have this fun gameplay experience? Which which one is he? And that now I'm being very critical because I've only experienced one game of a series of games so far. But and I'm not even sure what centers around Master Chief and what doesn't. But I know he's an icon visually. And again, he reminds me of like a, a motocross rider. Like that's yeah, he a, does. That's a, a futuristic motocross rider. That's what definitely he looks like. seven feet, seven and a half feet tall motocross rider. Definitely. <laughs> is he that tall? I think so. Yeah, I, think I didn't even like realize that. So he really is just like Mega Man supposed to be four feet tall. It's very disturbing <laughs> when you think about it. <laughs> but like you said, he's not an Indiana Jones. He's not even a Cortana. He's not so far for me. It's like that's what I was saying with the voice and stuff like that. Like he's obviously very assured. He's obviously very tough. He's obviously fearless, but beside it was, and it was interesting in his sort of exchanges with Cortana too. Like she was the nervous Nelly and he was like, oh no, we're going to make it type of thing. But that's all I got from that character. So it's like, but which one do you want? Like, do you want him to be a character or is he supposed to be just like a tough, a tough guy here? I mean, you could even argue that with Link though. I mean, how much of a character is Link, you know, or Mario? No, no. I I say that about Link all the time. Link is no one. You know, like Mario, uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> so it's an argument when they, for video games in, as a whole. When they got into widening Mario's world in Odyssey, that's when I found it most disturbing. Like when I was playing that game and there were humans in it, I was like, what the fuck is this shit? That's weird. That was a weird uh, experiment. So there's some things where you kind of be careful what you ask for, I guess. I have to acknowledge this from Caleb Hager. Hager. We brought it up earlier. He says, war, 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 boys. <laughs> I think we could talk about Halo CE without bringing up the infamous LAN party. Although this was mainly a thing with PC gaming, I can't think of a game that was more associated with console LAN parties than Halo. Curious if you guys ever experienced one during the game's lifetime on Xbox, and if so, how did it go? Take care, and I'm wishing you guys a happy 2002. Thank you for writing in, Caleb. You too, Caleb. The important thing to remember about Halo, and the important thing to remember about Xbox, is that it came with an Ethernet port, which was a huge revolutionary move. You couldn't plug in a phone cord to it, only high-speed Internet. But Xbox was released in a rush, and Xbox Live was not ready when Xbox came out. So oh. people couldn't play online. Oh, shit. They could only hook in, you know, Xbox Live came out in 2002, okay. about a year after the console launch. Okay. So the only way in the beginning to play Halo, and I think at all to play Halo 1, on was to connect your consoles with LAN. And I never joined in on any of those, but I knew a lot of people that did that, even in college. But that was, that problem was solved. That that very limited party atmosphere was was taken care of when Xbox Live came to the scene. And... So by the time Halo 2 launched, which was in what, 2004, I guess, something like that, they they were ready to play online. And that's why that game is iconic. And that goes into 
the last thing that I wanted to touch on, which was from Stephen Forgione, he said, Greetings, Brother Moriarty. Like many, Christmas 2001 greeted five-year-old Steve with an Xbox and a copy of Halo Combat Evolved among the games I received. You're very young to get that game. What impresses me most about this game is not only its timeless replayability, but its longevity. To this day, I am able to find multiplayer games with relative ease and enjoy the original killer app in the first party supported Master Chief Collection. Is there any other game series that has had this level of preservation from its publisher? As of today, each Halo game is available on the latest Xbox console and can be enjoyed in all of its original glory with their full multiplayer suites included and are all well populated. That is cool. I'm glad Halo is finally a topic on knockback and I wanted to mention how happy I am to see our Sony stenographer dip his toes into Microsoft's bright green waters. (laughs) Thank you very much, Stephen, for writing in. That is a great point for you to be going down in Xbox territory, man. I was telling Mike, I'm like, this almost doesn't feel like I'm really playing a game because I'm not getting any trophies. (laughs) That's a great point. So there's no evidence that this ever happened, although the evidence are the achievements, I guess. But no, there in my opinion, there is no company that has done as much work as Microsoft has to keep its games playable. And I feel like Master Chief Collection was not a product of Xbox 360. It was a product of Xbox One. And in fact, it wasn't even available until a year after Xbox One came out. And when it came out, it was wildly broken, as people recall, fucked. That was it. That was probably at Xbox's lowest point. But and I should say, and a lot of people point out that Microsoft does these kinds of moves because they had to. They had few games. They had few games of gravity and they needed to continue to make these games available to everyone. But it was a very serendipitous thing for them because they are the only first party of the three first parties that really does that. Nintendo notoriously makes Mario impossible to find, right? To get the Mario 64, Mario Sunshine, Mario Galaxy thing, you had to like do, I got it, but you had to buy it within a certain time and all of this. And while Nintendo going back to Super Mario All-Stars and all of this, we're we're making games available. They haven't done it consistently or persistently. And you got to give Xbox a lot of credit for saying, listen, Halo is our heritage. And it's funny because as much of a PlayStation fan as I am, PlayStation doesn't have an identity like that. And I think part of it is why it, PlayStation is so attractive, because there is no icon. It, it changes depending on the area you're talking about and all this. That's not the way Microsoft has worked. And I think that that has hurt the brand for, for the most part. But when you have a high caliber brand like this to make it playable, to do the work, to keep it to keep it, uh, I'm sorry, uh, to keep people occupied with it and to keep it viable is a lot of work and I'm, I'm I bust their balls for making a studio or making 343 which is basically just in charge of Halo and I think that that's something worth thinking about especially with the coalition another Xbox studio that is named after Gears of War that only works on Gears of War okay. I don't like that kind of stuff I think you got to let studios flex a little bit more but there's no doubt that they made the right choice and there's nothing in the Sony ecosystem like this there, is that there, it would be it would be akin to them keeping Killzone alive or something but Killzone is not Halo and was never good. It was designed to kill Halo. It didn't. And so, yeah, what do you think about that accessibility? You were talking about how you went on Steam and you just kind of got these games. It's just, it's unthinkable to do that with a PlayStation product. Actually, Sony is going to release Uncharted 4 on PC in the coming months, but not the first three. It's like, what? You can't even play Uncharted 4 without the first three. How are you even going to know what's going on? Yeah, right, exactly. So anyway, talk to me. Talk to me about that philosophically. Do you do you like that it was accessible? Do you like that? it When I saw this game come up, the one thing that didn't bother me was I was like, oh, well, that's no problem. You know, I don't have to go dig this shit out from some arcane, you know, nonsense, do some 
some claws and dust it off like an archaeological dig. It's it's just there. It's ready to go. How Did that cool stand that? out to you? Yeah. And especially for somebody like me who missed this two decades ago, I could just go on, go on to Steam, create an Xbox account name, get my email in there, get the game, play it, play it in its various iterations, play, you know, play this game, CE, in its various iterations, and then play the rest of the games as well. Offer, I would argue, a cheap price for the, you know, there's value there, I think. Oh, I, I think could, so too. Yeah. I could argue that yeah. now. But you know what's impressive for me, Kyle? The fact of look at the breadth of games now, not just across Xbox, just across gaming consoles in general. Maybe even want to, you know, um, include PC in the conversation. The vast catalogs of games available to us as players now, in terms of quantity, in terms of technology and evolution, impressiveness. I mean, take any game, right? And to go back to a game from 2001 and see how fun it still is even in comparison to everything we have available to us that timelessness was a shock to me i wasn't expecting to enjoy it this much but i think that speaks to it if you make a game this fun then yes keep it alive and keep it accessible to people and i can, i'm excited because i know this isn't considered the best in the series and the franchise Oh yeah, not even close. So I could only I can only imagine what I'm in for just in terms of sheer fun. I'm not saying story, I'm not saying graphics, characters, any of that stuff. I'm saying just in terms of plugging and playing and having a good time with a game. Shocking how enjoy enjoyable this was for me. You know, especially in the face of again gaming now where it's like and you know what the other thing that this game has me thinking, maybe we've talked about this with a game or two in the past. I'm not sure. But Maybe a game like this, which arguably does have engaging characters and engaging story once you dig a little bit from this first iteration, but maybe the fact that you can play it in some dumbed down fashion and the fact of like you don't need to know the story and the lore and the origins and all of that to have a good time with it, maybe that's what makes it accessible. Maybe that's what makes Halo enjoyable is the fact it's not something that really pick a game, but I'll say the Last of Us series where it's very compelling story, character driven, almost like a film where you have that complexity and you have to bring that knowledge in or pay attention. Something like this is much more arcadey in a way where it's like you could just plug and play and enjoy it and not have to commit too much of yourself, you know, play a game after a long day of work, that type of thing. That's what this game smacks to me of. And it has me kind of hoping that Halo as a franchise feels like that for me once I experience each one. But I also like the fact that it has those other components if if that's what you're looking for, if that makes sense. Definitely. Something it makes deeper, perfect sense if you want. I think we'll definitely get to Halo 2 at some point and we'll continue down this this lane, I think uh, I agree with you that I'm interested in where the story goes, interested in to, to learn more. It's got to fit it in with just the other things I have to do. But <laughs> you guys can either stuff. vote for Halo 2 or we'll get to it, I'm sure. And yeah, is there anything else unsaid about Halo Combat Evolved today that you wanted to touch on before you we know, go? No, it was just really nice. It's again, it's very satisfying for me, a 48 year old man that missed an epic thing like this, a huge thing. I think even if I didn't enjoy it, which I loved it, I think it gives me it, it, I get boned up. A little bit. Oh, 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 hey. it gives me the foundations to have a larger video game discussion. Just having the perspective of playing this game, which you really, I would argue, really shouldn't miss a game like this. It's egregious to miss a game like Halo CE. But the fact, again, in speaking the story and character 
and getting a little bit of that texture, especially if you want it. I think maybe I was a little critical of the game in that respect. I'm not trying to be. I loved it. And that that we touched on it briefly, that 343 Guilty Spark character, that sort of drone meets C-3PO character and his betrayal on the fact of that the Halo existed in order to wipe out in order to wipe out everything so the flood didn't so you could flood, you could starve the flood basically just having all those little cool things it's like whoa this is more than just an arcade experience fun first person house of the dead shooter type thing this is really a lot of this is really a lot of cool story in here too so I, i'm looking forward to having maybe something that has both like a bioshock series or something that was yeah. played in the dead space or something like that where it's like sure. you could have a little bit of the best of both worlds so for me, this was super fun. And the fact that I could finally say I played an Xbox game, maybe the, maybe the most important Xbox game. And, you know, I always go into these topics like a little nervous. Like, how am I going to do this thing justice? I know how many people love it. I know the passion, right? Look at our friend Chris, right? It's like mm-hmm. he lives and yeah, dies by this game. Yeah, by this series, by this does. franchise, I should say. Not often die. He doesn't die very often. He doesn't die. He's so fucking good at it. But... <laughs> God, he's like one of the most naturally gifted players of games I've ever met. That's interesting. I was talking yeah. about that with Graydon last night. So he's like a P, our friend PJ, mm-hmm. who's just gifted. Yeah, he's like just if natural... PJ decided he wanted to be good at a game, he was going to be the best at it. I told I, I, I told you, we did a, a, people probably find it. We did a Let's Play when I was still in California where I sat him down with Mega Man and he just played it. And he like never he played it before. Yeah, he never played it. I was like, That's okay. That's insane. Because I, I was like, all right, you're good in 3D spaces. Let's see you come to my world. But. But he's, he's just good got in those that spaces eye, too. That eye-hand coordination, my friend. Yeah, he's just good. He's just really good. But Dave, that's it. That's all we have for Halo Combat Evolved. It's available, like we said, Xbox Series X, Xbox Series S, Xbox One, PC. Of course, you can play the original on uh, on the original Xbox as well. And that's it. That's Super all we have, fun, Dave. Let's man. end. Let's end with a let's end with a dad joke, shall all right, we? I got I got I got a good one for you, man. This is a funny one. I like this one. Okay, Kyle. How do you get a good price on a sled? I don't know. You have to bargain. <laughs> it calls That's up a little good. Boston for me. You yeah, have yeah, to bargain. Yeah. You have to bargain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I get like flashbacks when I hear that. Did, that. I, did I bring you to another time and place with that one? Yeah, definitely. Oh, my God. All right, Dave. Well, that was a good one. I did like that one. Very oh, seasonal as well. Oh, you like Thank that? You all, all right. Yeah, no, I liked it. I thought it was good. Yeah. Thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of all things. Last Stand Media, Knockback, Sacred Symbols, Defining Duke. Find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Media. Find us on YouTube. Follow us on social media if you'd like and all the rest. Uh, that's it. We'll see you next time. Thanks again. Goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity.
Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Begele Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Diamore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dave Cowell, Tom Quinn, Stephen Innerfield, Christopher Nock, Zeno Adam, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodle, Nuclear Prostate, Sword of Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parrix, Henry Groth, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Christian R., Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Josh Hallen Rui, Tyler Watkins, Michael Buffel, Troilus True, Dan Root, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukem, William Holbert, Landon Pipkin, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H Tron, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja, Of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Andy Kinnanen, Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Zach Allum, Kyle. Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Damon W., Fat Houdini, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Kamaki, Mark Liberto, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K, Brian W. Rath, Alan Trembley, Tyler Bellow, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kidslow III, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gonholiger, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David I. Colucci, Paul Joyce, Edwin Castillo, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Madmock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com.